0: Um, well, uh, I'm going to start with this, and this doesn't really have to do with the message, but I thought this was interesting this morning. Um, my daughter and I, Annabelle, my middle child, we were driving to church, and we were passing the, the new Costco that's coming, and I heard that it was coming in June. Did you guys hear that? And that's pretty exciting. And so I was excited about this thing and then immediately frustrated with it at the same time. That ever happened to you? Because this is what my daughter said. She said, wow, dad they're building that Costco faster than they built our house. I'm like, ah. Oh. So I thought that was an interesting uh, observation. So, um, but today, I do want to say we are in the second week of this series called Next Level. And Pastor Brian last week helped us understand that this idea of seeking pleasure can actually be a good and right thing if done in the right context. And that's not something that is really natural to us. We, we typically think that the seeking of pleasure is more of a destructive thing uh, than anything. And so if you missed last week, do yourself a favor. Go back uh, online and catch up with us, um, and you'll be glad you did. There's a lot of good stuff in that. But what we're really talking about in this whole series is what do we do after we believe in Jesus for everlasting life? What do we do afterwards? Now that we have Jesus in our life and our eternity is secured, what are we supposed to do? Why should we now come to church or uh, do what Jesus tells us to do or live life with him? like If our eternity is already secure, why, why should we do any of that? That's what this series is about. It's really a question of what is the best life possible in eternity? What does that look like? And so before we dive into this passage, it's important to understand the difference between salvation and really what we're talking about, eternal rewards. Because often we conflate these things, we lump them into the same category, and consequently we often can feel stuck or insecure in our faith or like God is judging every single moment to to determine whether or not we're worthy of entering heaven or not. And so just to clarify, salvation, being forgiven of your sins and allowed entrance into heaven is, with, with Christ is an absolutely free gift from God that we receive the moment we believe in him, the moment we put our faith in him, and nothing can take that away from you. John 3.16 is a wonderful verse that encompasses this promise from God, and many of you know it, but it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? He, He loves you, and we can have confidence in our eternity when we simply believe in him. And we know this because of many, many, many other passages that that we see in the Bible. There's nothing that you can do to earn or work your way into heaven. There's nothing you can do to do that. But after we believe, there's nothing that can take that forgiveness away from you. That's so important to understand. There's nothing that can take that away from you. And it's an absolutely free gift given to anyone who believes. And this is a key uh, idea for this series and for this sermon in particular, that salvation is free. It's absolutely free. But rewards, eternal rewards, what we're talking about, it's not free. See, on the other side of belief, and that's where we're going to live today, on the other side of belief God invites us to a life of work, a life lived with him and for him. And he says, if you do that, there's a payday coming. There's a payday coming for those who live life well with me. It's one of the main ways God actually chooses to motivate us in, in the Bible, over and over and over again. God tells us that there are rewards to enjoy in eternity, for all eternity, for those who live life with me well. There's a payday coming. Now, come on. Payday is pretty great in and of itself, but a God payday? That seems pretty incredible, doesn't it? That seems like a pretty good thing. But for a lot of reasons, we miss this concept in the Bible. We think working specifically for rewards is somehow not as legitimate as uh, those who are working for other reasons or we feel guilty sometimes working specifically for eternal rewards because we have this skewed idea or understanding of what they are or or how we achieve them or how God views that. And so today I want to take a passage that at first glance may not seem to be about rewards, but we're going to pull it all together in the end. And often this is taught from the sower's point of view. But today we're going to take a look at a different, a little bit differently we're going to be in Luke 8 talking about agriculture, of all things, right? And so just to give you some perspective on my expertise in this area, um, why do you laugh? <laughs> Come on. You have every right to laugh because the closest thing I've been to agriculture really is the chia pet that I had growing up. Do you remember those things? It's, <laughs> it's, see, some of you? You're true Texans through and through, like you're gardeners, you tend gardens, or you're like Pastor Brian who has like livestock, actual livestock on their property. So as we read stories like this, and this one in particular, you may have uh, some additional insight because of the knowledge and skills that you have, and that's awesome. So this is what we're going to do. This story is found in three Gospels. It's in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Um, But we're going to hang out in Luke. He's very detailed in his writing. He was a doctor. And so he has some some good things that we are going to find out through his writing. But we're going to touch on the other ones this morning as well. So here we go. Luke chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 4 if you're following along. It says, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. Okay, so as Jesus told these types of stories, he would call out, He who has ears, let him hear. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So, yes, you do have ears. That's right. But evidently, it's possible to have an ear and yet not hear. You could have two ears and not hear. It's possible to be a part of the crowd and hear the story and still not know what's going on still not understand what he's talking about. Let's contemporize this a little bit. Have you ever talked to somebody who could repeat the last few words that you say, but you know they weren't really listening? I'll give you a moment to nudge the person next to you, (laughs) right? Not that shockingly, this gets me in trouble fairly often. Because husbands and wives deal with this often, don't they? Like, she's trying to have a, a conversation with him, and he's scrolling YouTube or, or Netflix or TikTok, whatever whatever you do, and vice versa, by the way. This is not just a one-way thing. And they can say the last three words that you said. Oh, I heard you. I heard you. But you know they weren't listening. See, the crowd, they were there because they liked the teaching. They liked the teacher. But they weren't hearing him. They weren't understanding Matthew, in his account of this parable, uh, elaborates on this a bit, it says the disciples came to him and asked, "Why do you speak to the people in parables?" He replied, "Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them." And he goes on, "For this people's heart has become calloused." They hardly hear with their ears, and they they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. See, these crowds—they were coming, broken and bruised. They were coming, hurt and struggling, and they probably heard about the healings that were happening, and yet they didn't get healed. And some of us might might put it this way: like, well, I read the Bible. Well, I came to church. Well, you know, I I did some nice things, but nothing changed. My life isn't any better because of it. This God thing's not working. Right? But he says, the reason they don't get better is because they come with their ears but refuse to hear. They come with their eyes, but they refuse to see. They come with their hearts, but they refuse to perceive. See? It's the state in which they come that keeps me from fixing what's wrong, he says, even though they show up. And so what's the difference between all of those people in the crowd and the disciples? Why were, why were they not understanding, but now the disciples are allowed to understand? Well, it says the disciples began questioning him. Like, Jesus, what does all this mean? The disciples wanted more. They desired more, but, but the crowd, they were satisfied with the story alone. Now, this is a pretty common thing. You ever go to a restaurant and order an appetizer? Yeah? See, one of Stephanie and I's favorite things to do on date night, especially like 10 years ago or so, um, we would go to Jack Allen's during happy hour because they had half-off appetizers. And that would be our meal. We would just get appetizers. Anybody else do that? Am I alone in this? Thank you. Thank you. Maybe I am a little strange for that, but. But here's the thing the appetizer is supposed to be the setup for the full meal, isn't it? The idea isn't that the appetizer is the entree, the idea is that it's the setup for something bigger. I think Jack Allen's is, is doing this half off appetizer thing to entice you in so you'll spend more money on the rest of the meal. But the appetizer was never meant to be the whole thing. Because if you're satisfied with the appetizer, you're not going to order an entree. If the appetizer is all you feel you need, that's all you're going to get. And see, the crowd, they were satisfied with the, with the appetizer. That's all they wanted. They didn't want any more. They came and didn't really care what it meant. They were good just hearing a fun story. All they got was the appetizer. But the disciples, see, they wanted more. They wanted an entree. They wanted the full meal. Like, what does all this mean? What do I do with what you just said, Jesus? How do I now orient my life in light of what you just told us? They weren't satisfied with the story alone, like the rest of the people that were there. The disciples wanted the whole meal. They're like, no, 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 no. Jesus, you finished the story, but we're not done yet. How are we supposed to use this? The difference between them was the disciples wanted and desired and sought more. And so Jesus explains the story to them. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by per- persevering, produce a crop. Okay, so here Jesus is explaining the four different types of soils, and that's the perspective we're gonna take it uh, today, take it from today. He explains the path or the, the, the hard ground. He explains the, the rocky ground, the ground with thorns growing in it, and the good, or some translations say the fertile soil. And Jesus tells his disciples that the seed in this story, the seed represents the word of God, or in the book of Matthew, he calls it uh, the message about the kingdom. It's the saving power of God's word. And here's here's another key idea for this message. The the seed is the word of God, but it's the condition of the soil that will determine what the word of God will or will not do in the life of a believer. The seed is the word of God. It's perfect in, in all that it is. It's the condition of the soil that will determine what it does. And so if we're sitting here and we're thinking, well, why am I not changing? Why am I not growing? Why am I not maturing? The the problem isn't the seed. The issue is the condition of the soil that the seed gets planted into. Now, here's the good news. We can work on that, right? We can work on that because that's us. That's our hearts. He says in verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The, The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, this is important because Matthew and Mark and their accounts don't mention this tiny detail. But again, Luke is very detailed, and he he lets us know that this first soil is the one that doesn't believe. It's the only one that's designated as an unbeliever, okay? The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved, And so they hear the word of God, but they didn't believe. And as a matter of fact, Satan comes and steals it away. His job as the enemy is to stop the seed from ever getting planted. It's to stop the seed from ever becoming what it's supposed to become. And if it does get planted, his job is to stop it from being effective. From becoming, again, what it's supposed to become, which we'll talk about when we get to the good soil. But he goes on, he says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And sure, we see this fairly often where someone puts their faith in Jesus, and you might know somebody, someone puts their faith in Jesus, they believe in him for everlasting life. And so their eternity is secured, but they're young in their faith. They didn't have years and years of doing life with God, so they haven't developed what it's calling roots yet. Their foundation is shaky. Or someone puts their faith in Jesus, but they didn't continue learning about him. They didn't go to Bible studies, or they didn't go and get connected into a church in fellowship with other believers. They'd, or maybe their, their church attendance was spotty, right? And so they didn't have roots. They didn't have people around them to hoist them up when what it says is trouble comes. When trouble came, they, they, they fell away, they withered. That doesn't mean they didn't believe. It says they received the word with joy. Now, similarly, in verse 14, it says that the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Now, this is a this is a safe space, right? If we're if we're honest with ourselves right now, this sounds a lot like many of us. Like we we believe in Jesus for a while and then life happens. Life ever happened to you? And that could be like the life's worries, could be like sickness or disease or cancer. Or the loss of a loved one or maybe the loss of a child, or maybe it was just that you got passed over for a job position again, or maybe it's that your your marriage is falling apart, like life hit, life happens, and we didn't have uh, the support good support systems, and that can absolutely choke out our faith if we're not doing life with God. that can absolutely throw us off we're faithful for a while, but eventually it becomes too much. But then on the flip side, in the same soil, it says, but the riches and pleasures of life can do the exact same thing. And so, again, if you go back to last week and hear Pastor Brian talk about Solomon, man, did Solomon dive into to riches and pleasures of life. And the exact same thing, it can distract us from living life with God. It can sh- distract us from our faith and keep us from maturing and growing in him. Solomon, at the end, we know he calls it all worthless. He calls it all vanity. And so he then gets to this last soil, the good soil, the fertile soil. And he says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, of, uh, hear the word retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And in, in Mark's account of this parable, he says this, which is interesting. He says, others, like the seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And here's, here's where all of this comes together, and it's a beautiful thing. See, the good soil, man, is that the goal. That's what we should be uh, desiring our lives to reflect, right? Those who hear the word, retain it, and persevere, they produce a crop, and not just any crop, 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Isn't that the goal? That our return would greatly outweigh our investment. That all of the work done in this life for God would pay back 100 times over. Now, what I found interesting in this particular section was the word crop. Like, what are they talking about there? What is it that our lives are going to produce? Because in earlier translations and in the CSB, which I'll read here in a second, it uses a different word. In Luke 8.8 8, in the CSB, it says, still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit. A hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. And so I see that, and then I consult our resident Greek scholar, uh, Pastor Brian, of course. And we dove into into root words and all the things, and it, it happens that the root word in the Greek for crop or fruit here is the same that's used when later it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, meaning that when the soil is good, our hearts are in line with his. We're moving in the same direction. When the troubles of life come and we've produced roots that can endure that, or when the thorns uh, threaten, there's, there's strength there to overcome that. When we persevere through all of those things, there's a crop or a fruit that's produced. You could say that with me. Love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And when that happens and we live with that as our goal, look what's promised. Matthew 16, 27, it says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man and woman according to his deeds. And will then repay every man according to his deeds. Now, he doesn't have to do that, does he? He doesn't have to repay us anything. But he chooses to. It delights him to reward his people for a life well lived with him. And so we look back at this parable. In the first soil, it rejected, he, that person rejected him completely. So there's no crop and there's no reward. But interestingly, the next two will actually enter into heaven. They believed they, the seed was planted, it germinated, but they could have little to no reward, because there was no crop. But man, the good soil reaps 30, 60, or even 100 times over what was sown. Can you imagine? the reward that goes with that? Can you imagine that? And we'll be talking about what that those are um, later in the series. but let, right now let your imagination run wild. What would the reward look for, look like for that? Because anything you can dream up, God can top, can he? And so we started this whole message with this question, why should we live for God now if our eternity is already secured? Why should we do all of these good things? Because the quality of our eternity is in the balance. The quality of our eternity is in the balance. Now, don't get me wrong. Getting into heaven and doing the heavenly grunt work is pretty sweet gig compared to the alternative, right? Right? he says it could be so much better than that. It could be so much better than that. Let's pray. God, um, we thank you for your faithfulness. You are so good to us. You bless us in so many ways. And you have this system that we, frankly, may not even really understand. You don't have to but it delights you to reward your people for a life well lived. And so God, we we pray that we would keep that in mind as we go about our week, as we go about our days. That as we produce fruit in our lives, you reward that. God, help us not to be sidetracked or distracted by the troubles of life or the thorns of life. But in all of those things, help us to persevere and live life well with you so that we can enjoy what you have for us for all eternity. God, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.